This is Rugger Matrix America. everybody this is alex golf from rugbymag.com we've got bruce mclean and pat clifton with us and bruce i don't know what the heck you've been doing the last couple of weeks but i know pat clifton uh narrowly avoided uh, uh an ignominious fate somewhere in some strange hotel in oakland but uh is back from the national sevens championships and pat and I'm, I'm glad you survived you and and jackie as well um, but how, uh, hopefully that trip was not as scary as the hotel you stayed in the first night. The hotel was B-Love's guest house. Rule number one was have a cool vibe. Um, there was only <laughs> one lock separating us from uh, West Oakland, the streets of West Oakland. And I've got to say that it was, you know, I don't live in the, the most savory neighborhood in Kansas City, but West Oakland is a whole other world. So, yes, I'm glad to get out of there. I'm glad to get out of there alive. So Excellent. Well, uh Bruce, you were you, you didn't go to the sevens, did you? I didn't go to the sevens, um, but I heard a bit about it. I I just I didn't go to San Francisco. I figured I would stay around and play with my kids and go to the pool. I do do uh, I do I actually do do a little bit of rugby in the summer. I with uh, some of the army coaches and and some of the other kids from from guys from play rugby USA and stuff. We go down and we do uh, we we go to the AC at Travers Island and we and we have a youth a youth clinic on Wednesday nights with I don't know however many kids show up really from Fordham Xavier Pelham and Greenwich and all those other places and some of them are just some of them are ten some of them are eleven some of them are twenty and we just go and play rugby and we work with the kids and essentially we actually just play rugby. We even like Pip and Rich and everybody, they don't coach. They just join in the game and we just play rough touch rugby and we discuss certain skills and I jerk around with the rules to be able to, to make different things happen. So we've been doing that all summer. That's, that's basically the rugby I've been doing all summer. Not Nothing, just once a week and it's, and it's fun and that's what it's meant to be. It's not meant to be high pressure or it's not meant to be cause anxiety actually tell guys be superstars try stuff we teach them the sunny bill williams backdoor offload we teach them all kinds of crazy stuff and that's kind of what we do good you know it's funny um i've, I've done a couple of these uh, youth clinic things and um usually for for years whenever i did them they were just sort of something i haphazardly put on myself and try to do a little promotion and it's always a small number of kids showed up and i always got players um, for the team that I was coaching from them. I always enjoyed it, even if it was like eight kids there. I got a really nice um, uh, email recently from a guy whose son was in a, uh, a, a like a summer thing I did where I don't, I don't we must have had maybe, maybe eight kids. And um, that kid's now being recruited by a, a major uh, university rugby program. And I was just really happy to hear that. Now, I'm not saying that the clinic got him there, but it's really kind of fun to see, to get a note from somebody from something that happened a long time ago thinking, you know, did they get anything out of it? Um, and I'm sure they do get something out of it, uh, Bruce, uh, from the stuff you and everybody else is doing there. Um, but we're, we're going to talk about uh, slightly older players right now, just a little bit older. First of all, uh, National Sevens Championships. Um, uh, 
Pat, you were there. Belmont Shore won. Uh, they they lost to Chicago Lions in their first game of the weekend and ended beating Chicago Lions in the final on their last game of the weekend. Uh, Chicago Lions second. Uh, the, the team who we'd all picked to win, Old Puget Sound Beach, Went five and one, lost a very close game to the Chicago Lions. I went, I had a, I had a good long look at that game, and the Lions won that game because they completely dominated possession, um, and were very impressive in just keep playing keep away. Beach, and I think it's legitimate to say that Beach may still be best sevens team in the country. You put, you have ten tournaments in a row with all the same teams. Beach would probably do better than everybody else. Nevertheless, Belmont Shore won, and Belmont Shore played extremely well. Uh, I agree with your assessment of Beach that they probably still are the best team in the country. Um, you, that's the thing about seven. You lose once, it doesn't mean you're not the best. And They um, they were fantastic. Had a lot of depth all season, or the entire tournament, but the one thing that stuck out to me in that, that game against the Lions they lost was the way that the Lions played defense. And they played defense all 100 meters. A lot of times you'll see somebody make a breakaway and somebody's giving up, you know, will we'll concede the try and hope to go back and score. The Lions played really, really tenacious, um, never-give-up defense, and really scrappy defense. And I thought that was kind of the thing that shown through for them. And Belmont, I mean, it's a hugely gratifying win for them. Just We've talked about it over and over. I don't know how many times I've written it. But, you know, out of the 11 guys they had there this weekend, only two of them um, played on last year's national championship team, um, a brand-new cast. And, and they started from ground zero and worked all the way up and played some really good sevens at times and had some good individual um, efforts at times and, and did everything it, it took to win. But it was a very entertaining tournament to watch. There were a lot more close games. Kansas City Blues finished 16th, dead last. But they were five points away from beating the Tamala EA Lions and two points away from, you know, beating the Chicago Lions. So I think top to bottom, it was really competitive, really fun to watch. And, and there were some really good players to watch, too. Yeah, the, the Blues lost all of their games, right? But they... Only one of them against Belmont Shore was a blowout. Every other one was within a try. It's it's, it's good to see that level of competitiveness. And the Lions, the uh, the Tamalei Lions, beat Chicago Lions. They beat them fourteen twelve. So the the fifteenth place team actually beat the team that finished second. Yeah, and you know Charlotte, they played some really close games on day one. You know they had a couple teams right push their backs to the wall and and looked really good in a couple of games and. Daytona Beach somehow won the bowl. If you'd watched their first couple of games, you would have thought there's no heck way in you know the world that they're going to beat the Olympic clubs and the Tom Alatier Lions and all the other teams that were down in the uh, consolation bracket. But they did. So everybody had their moments, and, and there was good rugby played by everybody, and every team had really good athletes, except for NIAC. Those guys had no athletes, but still managed to win some games. They lost three games by two points. With a uh... bunch of – how Alistair McFarland – Gets around the seventh pitch is almost—it's fun to watch because he's not exactly a skinny fellow. Yeah, he—he—he's he, a very good player. And one of the things that Beach may be the best 15s and sevens team in the country, but the fact of the matter is, you—you you can starve a team of possession, play good defense to win, and—and and I think that that—that's kind of what happened in the 15s final. To and 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 I think that's an important component that you know. Pressure, possession, speed, which we don't have a lot of, but you know those are the things that that really position on the field, field position, you know the four P's of the old school rugby coaching books are the things that really do still to this day 
dominate how games are played and whether or not you can win or lose. You know, it doesn't, it's not always, you don't have to play the best rugby. You have to outscore the opposition. The object of the game is to outscore them. So when you have an opportunity to score, you have to make it count. And when you have an opportunity to stop a team, you have to stop a team. You have to get good stops. It's a, it's a lot like basketball. Uh, I, th- I think that rugby and basketball are, are very, very similar in that. And, and I think that this, you know, in the sevens, it was, it was very, in- the results were extremely interesting. And especially with Belmont Shore, I'd spoken to Joe Somerville and he had said that it was great to see their back row from their 15s team really dominate the national sevens championship uh, with McKenna and Dahl. And, and I think that that's really comes down to defense and, and just putting in a game plan that works. You have to have a game plan that works for your personnel. Not every game plan is appropriate for all the personnel. You can't play a speed game if you don't have speed, but you can play defense and, 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 and possession game with quality players like that. And those are the types of guys. They're also hard, pretty hard ball carriers as well. So those types of things that can win sevens games, you could do th- There's a lot of ways to skin a cat. You just got to find a way to skin a cat that's appropriate for your team, and, and things a, can work out pretty well. You bring up a good point with uh, the back rowers for Belmont because I think there there were a lot of teams that had burners. You know, Daytona Beach had Perry Baker who could burn on the edge. Every a lot of teams had really good speed. Again, you know, omitting Nyack from that conversation, but uh, there aren't. <laughs> there's not a lot of. If you, if by watching the Eagles when they play sevens, it's the same thing. The thing that we're lacking a lot of is quality forwards, quality big guys that can play sevens. And Belmont had, without a doubt, the deepest uh, crop of big guys that can play sevens and Dahl, McKenna, Tracy, Duschel, going all the way down the list. And that goes a long way. It's kind of like, you know, in, in high school basketball, somebody's got a six eight, six foot nine guy, uh, he's going to win them a lot of games. If you have a good front row or a good pack of forwards and sevens uh, here in the, in the States, in the club scene, it's going to win you a lot of games. And I think that that helped Belmont tremendously. I think that a lot of teams in sevens go for the speed and try to, they almost try to get away with not having guys on the field that can do the hard yards and try to get away with just having complete danger players everywhere. And sometimes it's, it's worthwhile to have guys who are willing to put in the hard work, the unsung glory of, Clearing rucks, making tackles, winning kickoffs, winning lineouts, just winning scrums, just kind of disrupting things a little bit. That, you know, when you're on defense, you want to disrupt an opposition's rhythm. And when you're on attack, you want to, you want to get yourself into a rhythm. And you kind of need guys who are going to do the hard work to get yourself into rhythm because they're going to dominate contact areas. And you want to have guys who are going to dominate a contact area on defense because then you disrupt the opposition's rhythm and you are able to put them under a little bit more pressure. And I think that, that so it is an important component that some, some people kind of get away from because they see the fantastic athlete and you you know, it's just, you got to have them on the field and you wind up that you don't have the chemistry that you need to actually win. I, I think it's a massive mistake to just concentrate on speed. I think it's an old school uh, and not in the good way mistake about sevens you've got people who just say well that's that's uh, all right we'll just play sevens which is what we're just playing keep away and uh waiting for a fast guy to 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 
to score tries for us doesn't work on this level. And I think that's partly why, you know, everyone was talking about um, uh, the, the tournament being competitive because I think that there are a lot more teams that get it. Uh, tactically, they get it. Um, athletically, I don't know if they get it um, or have it. And, um, you know, on individual talent, I'm still not sure. I, I, I'm, I'm quite sure, actually, um, that Alex Magleby is not sold on his talent pool. Um, and Pat, you've, you, I mean, I, I've, I've seen International Sevens longer than you have, but you, you were watching this much closer. The web, the web feed, by the way, from the national championships was really bad because their camera broke. Um, is there talent? You've, you've seen, you've seen players play well for the Eagles, Matt Hawkins, you know, compare, compare some of the forwards you've seen to Matt Hawkins when he was playing really well, compare uh, some of the playmakers you see to Shalom Suniula, who wasn't there. Do you, did you see guys who have Eagle potential, not just being the best at the tournament, but have Eagle potential? Um, yeah, I certainly saw guys with Eagle potential. Um, and you know, I, I, I kind of what Alex was saying was, Yes, some guys here look good against other club players, but who did they really play against? And um, that's a fair point. But at the same time, while there weren't a lot of Eagles all over the place, you know, Mike Palafau was out there. Um, Mosi Wakago was out there. Uh, Miles Craigwell was out there. Um, there were Eagles on the field for a lot of different teams. Uh, Rocco Maurer was out there. So I do think that some of these guys got to play against other Eagles. And there are guys who have Eagle capabilities um, and showed them big this weekend. One of the guys who has turned my head all summer – um, but really validated it this weekend um, is Kyle Hitt. Um, he's you know a year removed from Denver. From, from Denver, right? Kyle Hitt, Denver Barbarians, a year removed from the University of Northern Colorado, um, plays a lot on the wing, um, kind of like uh, Alafoki Fausaliva does um, for Samoa, where you put that big body on the wing, he's, he's hard to bring down out there. So, yeah, he, he gets the ball out on the wing, and it's a big body on the wing, and he can move just as well. And so he's trucking three or four of the smaller guys on the other team. Um, I think he's got big-time eagle potential because I think he runs harder than Mark Bachoven did. And Mark Bachoven obviously has a long history of being an eagle guy. Um, so to me, he's one of the biggest guys out there um, that, that, that kind of jumped out this weekend and raised his hand um, that probably a lot of people didn't know about. Another one is Hunter Leland, a guy that people know more about. You know, he played sevens last year, um, but he played on a, a much – uh, a very talented team, but a not a good team in the Denver Harlequins. Or, I mean, sorry, the Dallas Harlequins. This year in Denver, he's been put into a real system, gotten some really quality coaching, and plays with some uh, in a more structured pattern. And he's been fantastic. And I think that he's a real sevens eagle candidate, or should be. Um, so those are two guys that jump out to mind. Uh, Old Blue had a couple of very interesting um, athletes, and in Kyle Granby and um, Derek Lipscomb. Um, you know, I think Lipscomb probably has a little bit higher ceiling. Both of the guys are really fast. Uh, you know, rugby IQ-wise, they weren't really put in the position. Old Blue has some uh, foreigners on their team, and a, and a guy like Steve Strider does a lot of their playmaking ability. But um, Lipscomb and Granby were both finishers, and they played really well when they had the chance to. Um, so do they have all the rugby skills? I don't know, but they certainly have the potential to be Eagles um, when you talk athletically. And they didn't seem to have any giant holes in their game from the games I was able to watch. So the, well, those were big guys to watch. One of the one person who's really high on them was Luke Hume, 
who uh, was obviously got his first cap with the 15s team uh, this year. And he said that it, he liked both of them. He thought Lipscomb especially. Yeah, I think he felt the same way, perhaps a little bit um, bigger potential, but he was very high on them. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, one of those comments where he didn't really have a reason to push to push them up or anything like that. Um, and, and so I would take that at face value. Uh, and and those are kinds of it, it's it's interesting because we talk about athleticism, um, and and there are a lot of good athletes. I really do believe there are a lot of good athletes playing uh, rugby, and there are a lot of good young players who are um, football players or uh, who who move on and play rugby instead and things like that. But they don't always come from the directions you think they're going to come from. And Bruce, you've run into this a lot. You know, you get some guy from Iona. Uh, or Columbia, something like that, or, or uh, what was it, Matt Rader from Penn? Who's, that's that's not necessarily thought of as a hotbed of young athletes. That's not that's not UCLA. But but yeah. they they can be good athletes and they could be uh, effective rugby players. Granby actually is from Iona, yeah. um, believe it or not, and and Rader. In, in fairness to Raider, Raider was a Division One quarterback. He went to Duke to be a quarterback, and what happened was he had – they changed to an option system, and he went to Penn and led the Ivy League in passing and got a, and, and, and got a couple of pro tryouts off of it. So Raider's a little bit of a different egg, okay. and he's, a, he's fantastic. But Granby, if you, if you go back to Granby – Granby is, is, is an Iona College graduate. And I think that where Magleby was coming from in terms of all this stuff was that while the guys are athletic and while the guys can play, the real problem is that it's the skill level. It's what is the skill level necessary to play on the circuit? And athleticism doesn't get you there alone. There's a lot of things that guys have to do by themselves and or with a teammate or two to really become better players, whether it's tracking drills on their tackling, whether it's working on their kicking, whether it's working on their passing, whether it's working on passing off the ground. Little things like that make you a lot better. And I say to our players all the time, they, what are you doing? I'm working out. I'm doing this. I'm doing – I'm like, there's a million people in Central Park every day who run and lift weights. They're not getting any better in rugby. What are you doing to develop your mental game? What are you doing to develop your skill development? How often are you kicking? How often are you passing? How often are you doing tracking work for your tackling? How often are you going through game plans and patterns in your head and visualizing exactly where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing? How often are you seeing yourself within a defensive pattern with your teammates and understanding in different scenarios what exactly goes on? Those are the things that make you a better player. Those are the things, those are the intangibles. Those are the things that help you to become an elite level player. It's not just about running and lifting. And a lot of times that's mindless. So it's almost what I would say, half a cop out to not work on those things that are going to make you a better rugby player. You have to do those things. And that's, that's, that's the critical importance. And I think that that's a lot of what's missing now. You know, I'm not going to, you know, and I understand where Max is coming from, but on the end, at the other end of the spectrum, is he talking to the coaches? Is he talking to the players? Is he, does he know exactly where they're at? Does he give them little programs that they can do on their own? 
so he can't just lay the blame on them. He has to accept some of it himself. Here's what so, I'm from Bruce. I, I see what you're saying, and I think we're on different levels here. I'm not saying that um, you know some of these guys, Derek Lipscomb's rugby skills are where they need to be. But what I'm saying is, in terms of a player identification, if you go up and down the player roster, the guys, all the guys that played for USA Sevens last year, and you say, where the heck did they come from? Right? There are a couple special projects, and Miles Craigwell and New Punamata um, that are, are the exception. But by and large, they came from Cal. They came from an age grade team. They came, you know, Mike Palafow played for Aspen and the Utah Warriors and every other great sevens club. He's been in the, the elite level, you know, the blue blood sevens clubs and blue blood rugby for years now. Where do these guys come from? You don't see very many guys that were a Division II athlete got their chance to play like a Kyle hit, right? How many guys played really well in the club circuit and earned their way onto the team? Out of the guys that played for the USA Sevens over the last year during Magleby's time, very few, if any, right? New Punamata is the only guy you could really point to and said he wanted his way onto the team through Club Sevens. So while we value Club Sevens and we think Club Sevens is important, my big thing is how do you get those guys that excel in Club Sevens and give them the chance and put them in front of the players? And I do think that Alex Magleby's doing those things I was just a little surprised when I say, Alex, you know, who did you like this weekend? What did you think of a guy like Kyle Hitt? Or what did you think of a guy like Kyle Granby? And um, I didn't get praise like I thought I was going to, and that's fine because that means he's being truthful, and that's great. I'm just saying that I think that at some point in time uh, or at, at some level there is a little too much toward programs and towards what your rugby pedigree is instead of, can this kid play? Yes, he can. Who gives a crap where he came from? Okay. Let's put him against everybody. Okay, so uh, we're going to wrap this up because we want to talk about college. But um, what you've said, Pat, is is something that has been commonly said uh, over time in American rugby. And I think the message uh, that, that battles between national team coach and everyone else is that the national team coach is saying or trying not to say the level is nowhere near good enough. So I think that we could say that the bottom certainly is better. The bottom four teams at the club sevens are probably better, uh, performed better than they did two or three or four or five years ago. I think we certainly could say that. Um, could we say that the best team was uh, has improved over the last few years? I would imagine that Alex Magleby, if you pinned him down, would probably say no. And I think that if what they would say, what the national team has said to me uh, many times is exactly what you're saying. Where do the players come from? They come from the All-Americans. They come from overseas trained players who've come to the United States. Um, and they come from the age grade programs. They do not come, by and large, from the club scene. And is that a bias against the club scene? Or is that bias against the club scene justified because the bar is still far too low? Um, I don't know. I, th I think I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that message that because it's a common message from most of the national team coaches, which is we're very happy to see improvement, but the level at the club, the domestic level, is nowhere near good enough. And even players like Mike Palafau or Mosi Vicago or uh, uh, Peter Dahl, are getting away with things that they don't normally get away with because they're playing in a competition that is not tough enough to train international players. It's a wonderful competition, not tough enough to play to train international players. 
let me just let me add one more parting shot, right? Yes. The, the the quote out of, of Alex Magleby that, that got me was last year when Shalom Sudiol played for Belmont Shore, he was a men amongst boys, and that's the way he should be. And you're right, he was a national team player and he's a men amongst boys, and there was nobody who could contain him, right? This year, the team with all the internationals, whether at Eagles or elsewhere, were Old Puget Sound Beach and San Diego Old Aztecs. Neither one made it to the final. So Kyle Hick was good enough to beat uh, you know, half those teams, and to be on a team that made it farther than half those teams. Mike Palafile was not a minimum amongst boys. Neither was Miles Craigwell. Neither was Amosi Vicago, for that matter, the guy who started countless games for Fiji. So to me, that says that the, it has, as a whole, gotten better and that there are some pretty darn good players out there. All right. Excellent. We will be right back on Rugged Matrix American. We'll be talking a little bit about college rugby. Hey, fans, go to RugbyImports.com for all your rugby outfitting needs. Whether you're kitting out your team with our American-made jerseys, stocking up on training supplies, or just getting a new pair of boots, Rugby Imports has all you need for on the field and off. Go to RugbyImports.com. Hey, everybody, don't forget that the largest rugby tournament in the country is coming up sooner than you think, February 7th, 8th, 9th. In Las Vegas, the Las Vegas Invitational, it's wrapped around, of course, the USA Sevens International Tournament, and it has everything you want in a rugby tournament. Thousands of players, over 200 teams, uh, kids, adults, college, elite level, international level, uh, you've got the CRC qualifier, you've got uh, women's, 15s and 7s, it's all everybody would ever want in a rugby tournament. And you get to see the USA 7s, and you get to be in Las Vegas. Go to USA7s.com, check on the LVI link, and see how to pre-register. Okay, we're back on Rugga Matrix America. This is Alex Goff, Editor-in-Chief of RugbyMag.com. Don't forget that you can get the Rugga Matrix America show on RuggaMatrix.com. You can also listen to the Rugga Matrix International show there. You can also listen to Rugga Matrix America on RugbyMag.com as well. And go to the iTunes store and you can download the show, listen to it anytime you want. We're talking about college rugby because the college season is fast upon us. Um, and and you know I I can I can do a quick nod to my employer USA Sevens LLC did start the uh, collegiate rugby championships the the Sevens uh, tournament and I've said it several times and I'm not just blowing smoke up the skirt of my employer when I say that that tournament revolutionized the game in college rugby no colleges were really paying attention to Sevens and then this fall when we're talking about fall rugby in college with certain uh, notable exceptions, we're talking about sevens. Everybody is playing a sevens season, working toward a sevens championship, something that just wasn't happening at all just a few years ago. I find that very interesting. There are other major changes, though, going on in collegiate rugby, and one of them is the idea that uh, a, a bunch of colleges can look at the national championship structure, the uh, the D1A Premier League and the D1AA, and say that it's not doing enough for them. Uh, and that is the Varsity Cup, uh, spearheaded, I think, mostly by BYU, which won D1A this past season. Um, there was a lot of talk about the idea that uh, BYU then uh, came out with a press release saying they would not be participating in the D1A playoffs. And it was kind of an odd thing to say because the playoffs were when BYU was starting to get tough games. The last two years in D1A, they've only had one tough league game 
uh, every year, and that was against Utah. The rest of them were massive blowouts. They really weren't challenged at all until they got to the playoffs. So then they, they're saying they don't want to play in the playoffs at all. It seems a little odd. Um, only makes sense if they're looking at doing something else and putting their B-side in D1A. Can you imagine a team so powerful that they're in the top league and they can put their B-side in? Uh, and, and it turns out that's what they were doing. They were looking at the Varsity Cup, which would be um, a po- possibly an eight-team uh, tournament in which uh, the top teams, really, really tough teams, would be playing each other through the spring. Uh, that's going to happen. And Pat Clifton, you've been keeping your eye on that. The issue is Varsity Cup versus D1A, Varsity Cup versus D1AA. Who gets to do what? Can you do both? doesn't look like you can do both. And the broader question of a bunch of schools basically step away from USA Rugby and say, we don't like what you're putting together. We're going to put together something else entirely all on our own. Right. What we know is the Varsity Cup, there are seven teams that have been announced that – that are going to be participating in the Varsity Cup. The Varsity Cup is essentially a three-week competition. They're going to do uh, semifinals, uh, or, sorry, quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals. Um, I believe the plan is on back-to-back-to-back weekends um, in the spring. So they don't actually have, there's no Varsity Cup regular season. It's just a playoff. Um, they're going to split it up into East and West. Um, you've got Cal, Utah, BYU, and uh, uh, Air Force in the West. In the East, you've got Navy, Notre Dame and uh, Dartmouth, and then we're expecting probably a fourth East team to be identified at some point in time. Um, but those are the teams that, that, that are doing it. And it, the real kind of thing about the Varsity Cup that affects all of college rugby is what does that mean for D1A and D1AA? Um, essentially what happened was you, uh, D1A, D1A decided if you're not going to play in our postseason, you can't play in our regular season. So those Varsity Cup teams or potential Varsity Cup teams had to decide between either playing D1A or playing Varsity Cup. The seven I just mentioned chose um, that were in D1A, D1A chose the Varsity Cup, which means they're out of D1A. Um, and then uh, there are a couple of other teams that already announced D1AA. And then, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to go on there. But in terms, of, in terms of the Varsity Cup and D1A, essentially it takes every champion that D1A has ever had and BYU and Cal – and takes them out of D1A. Um, and it also, uh, which you could argue cheapens the D1A league. But it also, in the, the crux of the issue with BYU, that we kind of, you touched on, Alex, was they played in the national championship the last two years. There were somewhere around, say, 20,000 tickets sold over the course of those two years. And none of that money was kicked directly back. None of the gate money was kicked directly back to the teams that played in the final. And that is the, stick, the major sticking point. Um, it would seem between BYU and Cal as well and USA Rugby and their D1A playoffs. So they've decided to go on their own venture and make this. It's a completely separate from USA Rugby. It's a private venture. It's like they want to make it, you know, commercialize a little bit and make a little money for themselves or at least control the money they, they win or lose. And um, and that's what they decided to do. And uh, I think that there are a lot of different things to talk about in terms of ramifications. But, um, you know, them breaking off is certainly uh, – uh, it's – it's brand new. So is it a precedent setter or is it going to be a blip in the screen? Is that, that's, that's the odd thing. And Bruce, I'm, I'm curious to think what your thoughts are on the varsity cup, given that you uh, kind of helped start your own league and there you, you, the super league is, is uh, um, kind of has similar origins. Yeah. I, look, I, 
I don't know that I agree with exactly what they're doing. Um, only, but I also don't know a whole lot about it. I, I think that there is something to be said for it, it, college rugby's really grown a bit because high school rugby's grown and some of the quality's gotten quite a bit better. And and I think that so there there are a lot of good teams out there, and there's a lot of people who really capable coaches who have uh, who have chosen not to enter into the men's game and chosen to enter into the college game, and and some some older coaches like. Doc and, and Ryland and, and those guys who have stayed within the college game and, and developed it there that, like I said, I'm not so much sold on that idea right away, but I do think it can grow into something that they want it to be. And, and I think that getting away from USA Rugby isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, and I understand their rationale for doing it. I, I don't know if they're doing it prematurely, that's really my would be my one comment on it is that did it happen prematurely? I think that the d one a competition last year, save not having Cal in it, was quite a good competition, and I thought that there were a lot of teams out there that really were within at least in the conversation of winning a national championship, and I thought that that was a good thing, and I think that they really could have built more heavily upon that but I also understand not wanting to be in the rigmarole of USA Rugby and so I'm a big believer in freedom and I'm a big believer in doing what you want and these teams are financially sustainable these teams uh, are very well capitalized and they know exactly what they're doing, and they made their choice. It was a very educated decision. The people who run the programs at these schools are not stupid people. And so I think that they have a vision of to where they want to take it. And while I think it's a little bit premature, I also think that they're handling it in the correct manner and that they're not making, they're not making it something overwhelming initially. And they'll they'll probably grow it, and and work around how they're gonna how they're gonna move in the future, and and it can be it can be financially it, it could maybe give them a few dollars. I don't think it's gonna give them a lot, but it can give them a few dollars. And it, and if it takes off, they could make some decent money, or at least be able to afford to pay their travel. Well, here here's one of the things I'm thinking about this that, that I don't think it is a uh, slap in the face or a or a big uh, you know drop your trousers and moon to USA Rugby. I think that uh, you know you you think about any team putting together a tournament. They put together a tournament because they think it's fun. They think they might get some good uh, competition out of it, and they're going to make some money out of it. And and this is just an extension of that by making it a few weekends. I love actually the club the the cup idea. I, I know that we get really hung up on um, playing uh, rugby or or organize excuse me we get really hung up on organizing rugby based on how American sports is done. But American sports fans can figure out a lot of different ways that things are sports are are organized and um, in soccer. They have both a major league soccer uh, regular season and they have cups that are uh, interspersed in there because fans have learned that that's what happens 
overseas. We we do it in the United States. We just do it with the playoffs. You know, hockey has and basketball have very extended playoffs because we like that knockout aspect of play. There's nothing wrong with having. Oh, by the way, this is a sideline knockout tournament. There's nothing wrong with that. So I, I I think that if you have that, I would like to see the Varsity Cup and D1A and D1AA work together. And I would also like to – I would be very interested to see if the enthusiasm of BYU and Cal and Utah and and all those teams that are involved, if the enthusiasm of those programs produces – a commercially viable competition. It produces something where you're getting three or four or five thousand people to games. Because if they do that, USA Rugby might nod and say, I see that you managed to do something that we have not been able to do. Because USA Rugby spends most of their time managing competitions in terms of who's allowed to play, managing the rules, right? And and the organization also uh, spends some of its time managing elite level play. They don't really worry. They really don't worry about um, uh, making money off things. They just they just have not been successful for the most part on that unless they have some kind of private injection of emotional capital. And uh, that's where I think this might change the game. Is that if the commercial side of it works, we're going to see some some people try to emulate that or build on it. Yeah, what I think is really so a lot of people have referred to this as the 15s, you know, the CRC of 15s, um, and I don't know if that uh, it's kind of an unfair um, you're putting unfair expectations on it because what the CRC has always had are people that are paid to do nothing but build the CRC, right? They've got a paid staff that to build that and, and make it the event it is and put it in the stadium it's at and get it on TV and, and, and create it. The people that are behind the Varsity Cup are the coaches. Um, and, and do they have enough time um, to kind of take this thing and build it into this huge commercial um, entity and event? Or do they have the support behind them to do it? I don't know if they do or not. So I think calling it the 15 CRC is a little unfair to them, but just because it could levy some unfair um, pressure on them. Uh, but but I do think it's it, it does a similar thing, because when the CRC came into um, came into the fold, it was what's more important. It, it, would it be bigger? We kind of posed the question to coaches: Is it more important for you to win the the CRC as say you know Utah University or Cal, and what that might do for you on your campus or open doors for you, get your AD to see you on campus, and and, and for all for for your rugby program to be nationally visible, and all the things that winning the CRC would do. Is it more important to do that, or is it more important to win a 15s national championship? And by and large, everyone still said 15s national championship. But I think if you ask most coaches what's more important, winning a 7s USA Rugby national championship or the CRC, the vast majority of them would say the CRC. Um, and I think that you know if this could create a, another thing like that. If this is actually – it could pose more questions like that. And um, if it's successful, I think you'll see it expand. And, I, and, um, and if it's successful, the other question is, how does it affect the programs that it would seem um, some of these teams and, and some of the teams we know for sure want to dodge some of the newer NAIA or Division II-based schools? If this, if this Varsity Cup is extremely successful and you see Army and uh, Colorado and a, a bunch of other 
D1A level teams run to it, um, but you don't see Davenport, Life, Lindenwood, those sorts of teams be invited to it, does that ostracize and kind of choke um, what I think is a really promising um, uh, trend in college rugby? I don't know. But those are all questions to be answered in the future. But this is definitely a potential game changer and something that is, is really kind of creating more and more questions. But the other kind of edge is one of the things it does now immediately is, uh, is impact D1A. And it impacts D1A by taking some of those teams that we've talked about out of it. Uh, but it also impacts D1AA in terms of Dartmouth is in Varsity Cup. And they the Varsity Cup's weekends that it's going to play, are, they you know intersect with the D1AA playoffs. So what happens when Dartmouth potentially wins the Ivy League playoffs um, and they back out of playing D1AA? The question is, um, would another bid go to the winner of the second-place team out of the Ivy League? And the other question is, how about Cal? Because Cal has enough people to actually afford to send teams to both. So because Cal is in the Varsity Cup and it runs the same weekend as the D1AA playoffs, could they send their B team to the D1AA playoffs and their A team to the D1 or to the Varsity Cup playoffs and uh, you know put both in both competitions? Traditionally, why not? USA rugby. Why not? Right? Traditionally, USA rugby has said no, you can't do that. But now that the Varsity, you know, it's either D1 or D2. But Varsity Cup is separate of USA Rugby, so they, can they mandate that uh, Varsity Cup teams aren't allowed to play in the D1AA playoffs? There are certainly coaches who are going to hope that they can't. There, yeah, there, there are going to be lobbyers for excluding. There always are, right? So, um, but, but Cal certainly has the ability, just like in any rugby situation, where you, if if you look at uh, rugby in Europe and you have a team that has a uh, you know a key LV equals Cup game, and they also have a key league game a couple of days later, they're going to be playing two totally different lineups for those because that's their choice. Or they could play and you know, or they could play the same players. Whatever it is, I mean, here in USA rugby, in in American rugby, we make teams play major playoff games on consecutive days we already we already mess around with teams anyway so um i i i think it'll be interesting what what about d1a and d1aa uh, let's talk about d1aa for a second um it seems to me for the most part pat and we talked about it, so many things need to come out in the wash um is is it being figured out do we still have problems about things like teams that don't have a conference to play in or uh, conferences that are, are struggling to get started. Cause it seems to me like there's a, things are starting to coalesce. Things are starting to come together. Yeah. There's a combination of things that are happening. And I think a lot of credit needs to be happy to be given to Rich Cortez and Tam Brackenridge, Tam Brackenridge rather, um, because they have really kind of gotten a lot of these conferences actually organized and, Instead of just sitting there and waiting for conferences to get organized, they've gotten their hands dirty and made phone calls and said, hey, listen, here's seven teams in this area. You guys all know you need to be moving up to D1. Why don't we put together a conference? And they are getting their hands dirty and doing it, and a lot of it is coming together. So in terms of D1AA, yes, there's still uh, – a lot of it's getting figured out. Um, one of the big questions, though, are you know, the rule is if, you have an FBS, if you're an FBS school, if your football team plays in, a, you know, for, in the bowl level – in the football bowl subdivision, you're supposed to be to D1 by now. And you can apply for, for waivers um, to stay in D1 or to stay in D2 and, and be able to advance to a championship. 
So if you're an FBS school and uh, you're not playing D1 and you don't apply for a waiver, your team can't make the playoffs. Um, there's still a lot of FBS teams that are not in D1, but I think that's by their choice. So are there teams that are left out and, and kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, screwed like there were before? No, I don't think so. Texas Tech is in a league. Um, they're in D1A. Uh, New Mexico has moved up to D1A. I think most teams have found homes, um, but there are still some out there like ECU. Um, if Eastern Carolina, I know they want to stay D2, but if they were to have to move up to D1 and they wanted to decided that they wanted to play in the playoffs and do that, them finding a home is not going to be very easy. Um, I don't think the ACRL is going to be letting them in anytime soon. Um, and just based on conversations I've had privately. So there still are potential problems out there, but by and large, they're getting solved. Because, and, and the potential problems are there because everything has changed. They, they, we, we changed the organization. That it's not just, oh, you're part of this LAU, and so you just play all the other teams in the LAU. The LAU gives you the same schedule every year, maybe a couple of different teams, but that's basically they just tell you. There are no LAUs involved in this at all. There are no TUs involved in this at all. It's all about teams get together and make your own conference. I like it. I think I think it, uh, if I were playing or coaching, I would be very happy to have a meeting of the seven coaches that wanted to be in a conference and sit down and say, "Okay, this is this is what we're going to do." And I would like that very much. But it is extra work, um, ultimately fruitful, but extra work. And in the end, we're going to see some situations where there are teams that are that spend a year trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And that, that is still happening, but but it's not USA Rugby's fault that it's happening. I should have clarified that. I think it was. It was kind of USA Rugby. What's really happening is conferences are clamming up and being exclusive for their own reasons, whether they're right reasons or they're not, whether they're you know righteous reasons or not. There are conferences that are clamming up. Willie Jesuit is a brand new varsity conference that's having a hell of a time finding a conference to play in. Right, the Keystone didn't want them because they said that they Wheeling hadn't played a game yet ever before and they hadn't proven that they could put a team on the field and they didn't play any spring games. Uh, so the Keystone said you can't play in our league. And then the new Mac League said, you can't play in our league because we want to stay as Mac only as possible. And then a couple of the club sports departments, um, or so I was told, had problems with varsity teams playing against club sports teams and what that might mean legally and insurance-wise and all those sorts of different implications that I guess some of us have not thought about. But there are still issues. But by and large, those issues are political issues caused by coaches and administrators at these conference levels, which is no different than we've had in the past, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's the same. The same old problem. In the end, it's the same old problem. Somebody looks at a at a team and says, um, "I'm worried. I'm not going to win a championship because they're in the league." So, but it will it it will work out because somebody will want to play them. And you know, I I have faith in the players because I think players look around and say, "How come we're not playing that team? How come they're not in the in the competition?" So, uh, well, actually, speaking of that, it was. I spoke to Tim O'Brien this morning, and he, because Cal is not in, in D1A, it was very difficult for them to schedule a game, and he, and he and Jack Clark had to work pretty hard at figuring out a time that they could play, they, and they weren't sure that they were going to be able to do it, and they wound up being able to work it out. There was a free time. So they are probably going to be playing this season. And, and uh, you know, the players at St. Mary's were adamant that they wanted that game to happen. It, w- yes. it was a player-driven thing. 
it, you know, and and so that doesn't they, surprise they, me at all. That they would that, that that the players would feel that way it does not surprise me. One of the things we get in the feedback from a lot of people is that they think the system is messed up. The system is not. I don't think necessarily messed up, but the system is still developing. It's taken perhaps longer than people thought. Maybe people thought it would take uh, six months of intense meetings and thinking about it, and it's probably going to take two years of uh, uh, trial and error to a certain extent. But I don't, uh, Pat, I know you and I have talked about this. We're pretty excited about the D1AA conference system. I think the D2 conference system is coming together. I think D1A is still, you know, it, it could be, it could be great, but it's still struggling. And I think we got to wait and see on this varsity cup. Yeah. Varsity cup is very exciting. and I'm going to be watching it um, very eagerly. Hopefully I'll get to watch a lot of the games. Um, who knows what's going to come of it. You know, D1A I've shared my opinion on several times. I, I don't want to delve too deeply in it, but I don't. I think D1A and D1AA should be one and the same. Um, and the reason that it's not is because we're trying to preserve grant money, and that's fine. Let's get the grant money. Um, but I think that we should be good enough at pitching a combined D1 that we ought to be able to keep the grant money anyways. So, But all, all in all, the health of, of college rugby, I think it's pretty darn good, and I think it's moving in a good direction. Um, and I think you just kind of got to watch, uh, watch the horizon and see if the storm's rolling in because – who knows, the Varsity Cup could be signaling the beginning of what I think eventually will be a movement to where college rugby is governing itself as a, as a different governing body and, and USA Rugby has nothing to do with it. And uh, I think this could be, I know that the Varsity Cup will say um, all day, every day that it's still with USA Rugby, all the guys are going to sip, and they will. But uh, I think if this, these people prove to be successful in governing themselves, um, it's only a matter of time before um, you see conferences uh, as a whole and competitions as a whole move out from under the auspices of USA Rugby. Um, but that's something to keep an eye out for, and, it, and I'm excited for the college season. It is something to keep an eye out for, and it's, it, what they'll also find out is there is some work involved, and they might be able to do the work, and they might have the money to do the work, but that doesn't mean anybody wants to do the work. So we'll see. I, I disagree with Pat a little bit. I, I think that D1A is a very interesting competition. It's going to be fantastic it they may not have the name schools but they definitely have good rugby and i think that the varsity cup is going to be fantastic uh i i would i i don't think that they should go into a d1 and d1a i think that d1a is good i definitely can see a time where they kind of move away from usa rugby and i think that's one of the good things about the super league is that they're kind of self-administered and I think the college rugby being self-administered isn't isn't a big deal. My feeling on USA Rugby is that they should spend all of their time on elite-level rugby. We have a an absolutely fantastic opportunity with the under-20s and the fact that we don't have uh, a paid full-time head coach. And I and I think we kind of missed the boat on it in that a lot of the players are available during the the summer the summer where they really could have worked and, and, and spent time on developing this this opportunity in the under twenties that's coming in going into the into the top tier is unbelievable. And I think that we were very short sighted on missing the boat in in this summer summer time period. And and I you know, I really do think that D one A is good. I think D one double A is gonna be good too, because appropriate teams are playing appropriate competition. 
and and that's, that's important. Right. That's yeah, important. Baylor, Baylor and Texas A&M, and that's going to be a real humdinger. What I meant is, I, like, instead of bringing everybody back down into D1, I think that they went into D1A for a reason, that they wanted to increase the level of competition and increase, and I think that they did. Like, you can't take away from the fact that the competition is better. I don't think you can take away from that fact. And the Varsity Cup teams... They're not happy with the competition in D1A, so they did something that they think's better. That's okay, too. I just think that USA Rugby in and of itself has to focus primarily and almost exclusively on the elite-level game and deal with that because that's, re- that's having its own problems. And I think that by getting itself mired into the local politics, national politics, regional politics, it's really cheapening itself – let those things work themselves out because the, actually they're going to work themselves out anyway. USA Rugby is not going to really do anything about it anyway. So why are they getting mired in it? That's my, that was my point on it. And I, and I do think that the D1A competition will be great. I think the Varsity Cup will be great. And I think the D1AA will be great too because it's not all mixed together. And I think everyone's getting competition that they're happy with. And for me, that's good. Well, I think that what I hope to see is that the conference alignment, which is something USC Rugby talked about for quite a while, um, that the conference alignment raises the level of the sport on campus and raises the importance of the sport on campus, gets uh, administrations more behind those teams, and gets more than that, gets the student body more behind those teams uh, because of the rivalries, because of the conference uh, schedules that they're familiar with. If that happens, I think it's good for the game. And, and whoever organizes it, I hope that it continues to be good for the game. That'll do it for the show. Uh, we covered an awful lot of stuff. I know we got more th- things to talk about, and I know we're going to be talking about uh, the Super League and the club stuff. I mean, we talked about it a little bit last week, but but really want to find out what the heck's going on with the Super League um, pretty soon. Uh, but we will we'll do that next. So do time. I. Yeah, so do you. <laughs> exactly. But uh, thanks a lot, Bruce, and thanks a lot, Pat. And Pat's been doing a huge amount of work trying to. Uh, Get, wrap his brain around the, the college competition and you can find more of what he writes about it and what I write about it on rugbymag.com and thank you for listening this is Rugamatrix America